yonder keep the wings level and true history hello and welcome to the first episode of our new podcast the history of the rhode island air national guard in this series we'll be speaking to members of the rhode island air national guard current and retired to bring you first-hand accounts of where our unit started and why we are who we are today I'm Staff Sergeant John Vanucci with the 143rd Public Affairs Office, and today I'm joined by our two resident history buffs, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Sorensen, our Wing Intel Officer, and First Sergeant Thomas Perney, a.k.a. the People's First Sergeant, a.k.a. 143rd Airlift Wing First Sergeant. First Sergeant Perney, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why this project is important to you. My name is Thomas Perney. I'm Senior Master Sergeant. I'm the First Sergeant with the 143rd Airlift Wing. Been in the military 21 years three-branch veteran, United States Marine Corps, Army Reserve, and most recently, and very proud to be part of the Royal Air National Guard. Student of history and uh, very passionate about it. Love to uh, meet people that I consider primary source documentation, people that came before us. We have, we have a very long history as a, as a guard unit. We always talk about the post-9-11 world, but we're, we're much longer than that, all the way back to 1917. Thank you, First Sergeant. Colonel Sorensen, if you'd like to introduce yourself and, and tell us why you're interested in this project. Hello, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Sorensen. I've been at the 143rd Airlift Wing for 30 years. I spent 25 years in intelligence, and right now I'm the Chief of Plans and Programs, and also a lover of history, and that's how we started this project, is both of us have an interest in, uh, in unit history, so here we are. Well, when you're, you know, historians and students of history, history buffs, they have to rely on secondary sources, books, information. But when you have the opportunity to go to primary sources from the mouths of the people that are actually there, that participated in such events, that's, that's what really gets uh, students of history and historians excited. Yeah, it's exciting. And, and, you know, that's what we were able to do yesterday is meet with some primary sources and review some artifacts. Colonel, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about what, uh, what we were able to do yesterday? Sure. Uh, th this pretty much came about when we learned that P1 is going to be rebuilt. Our time here is short. So I was down in the basement. I discovered this closet full of photos, VHS tapes, beta max tapes, 35 millimeter slides, and it was all our unit's history. Back in the 1990s, we used to have a, a historian, a base historian. And he would keep track of all the operations that we would do. But that funding went away for that position sometime in the 90s. So with that, all of the products that was produced over the decades was basically put in different boxes. So now they were scattered all throughout the building. Eventually, they started collecting it down into, into this closet and then pretty much forgotten about for quite a few years. Like no one talked about this closet full of stuff. Discovering this and seeing all the volume products down there, it was quite daunting to go, what do we do with this if we move to a smaller building? How should we care and feed this? So that was the big question I had, and I reached out to various people that possibly help, help us out with this. Shirt Perney was the uh, one that raised his hand and was willing to take this on. He was willing to go through a lot of these documents, and, and so he would spend time on Mondays coming in for hours going down there and sorting through it. You, you found quite a few things that you, you found interesting down there. You want to talk about some of the, the highlights? 
So there was, and obviously not as older as some of the older gentlemen that we did end up meeting yesterday. Uh, we, you know, we knew a lot about the 143rd post 9/11. Not too much about prior to that. Obviously, when when we when we changed aircraft prior to 9/11, there was a lot of information out there. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty recent history. But going back to what I had found, both photographs and, and ephemera paperwork that, w- that was that was available that we could see was uh, uh, units like the 152nd uh, Weather Squadron. They became groups. They, they they continuously changing names. That's part of the 143rd's lineage or heritage, I should say. But unfortunately, when these units move, the 143rd kind of loses that direct link because it'll go to another squadron in the Air Force or in the Air Guard, whatever the case may be. There is a lot of history that we're that we're learning as we go through this, such as that didn't realize we were we were a special operations tile unit. We were a tactical airlift unit. Uh, we were we all the way back to 1917. We we were actually given two Curtis F-style seaplanes. One of those was donated to uh, the state, and the other one went to the the state guard. So that's that's kind of where we we began as a as a Rhode Island flying outfit. The 143rd came into being much later than that. Units like the the uh, the 43rd photo reconnaissance. People don't realize that the the Rhode Islanders actually went off to World War II as a unit. And actually, were in Italy and North Africa. Uh, they were there in September of 1944, pretty much until the end of the war in Europe. It's it's sketchy on how much information is out there, and that's kind of what gives a lot of a lot of uh, excitement to what we found, because then you can start to see farther on, you know, or more more recent history, although still considered ancient history these days, in the in the 1950s, 1960s, just the way we started to change as a unit. Obviously, Colonel Sorensen has more information on this than I do. But, you know, things like leaving, you know, Green Airport or Hillsgrove, I guess it was called back in the day, you know, leaving there and coming here, that was a huge transition for us. Very, very big. But prior to that, a lot of our history that, that we know of comes from Green Airport. Different aircraft. Uh, P-51s flew out of there. P-47s flew out of there. After World War II, before then, it was, it's very, very sketchy on what was there. But we're learning more as we go through this stuff. Because uh, with all the photographs, there's a lot of paperwork. Also, so it's been very rewarding. And we we found a, a mystery plane yesterday. There was a mystery plane, right, with a with our logo on it that that we didn't know, you know, why it was here. And and did we did we solve that mystery yesterday? Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? We did actually. It was Sherp Perney solved that mystery. But uh, I'll give the lead in on this one. There's a photo of a Dakota with the the Rhode Island rooster, and 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 it was one of our planes. However, it wasn't really a in our inventory as the main plane that we would fly during any time period. So it was a curiosity on what these Dakotas were doing in our inventory with our emblem on the, on the side. So uh, Shirt Perney talked to General Waller yesterday and we solved that mystery. Once again, this is where your primary source documents come in handy with live people. <laughs> <laughs> Those C-47s were used to fly our people from Rhode Island to Massachusetts to link up with our jet aircraft that we had up there because we weren't flying jet aircraft, I, I guess, that time out of Rhode Island. They were flying them out of Massachusetts, so they, they would fly air crews and pilots up there to, to link up with our jet aircraft, which I thought was very interesting. What do the, the, the aircraft that we had in use at different periods in time tell you about the, the mission and, and how our mission evolved? We flew different stateside operations, but prior to that, we were flying obsolete, I would call them obsolete because it was post-World War II period, Thunderbolts, P-47s, 
uh, P51 Mustang. Uh, they were the D, D models, and they would use them. And I guess at that particular time, it was considered a weather and observation squadron or group. And more recent history would be uh, probably bringing in the SU-16 Albatross. That's where we. That's where the title came in. Special Operations, I believe, correct, Colonel? It's pretty much uh, where that came from. From uh, what General Waller had said, the Air Force was very, very late to the game as far as accepting Special Operations. So a lot of the Special Operations went to the Air National Guard. And although it wasn't really used in in a combat role, it was used for unique missions such as uh, deep water sonar in places like Ghana. They they were looking for, for deep water lakes. And Af- Ghana and Africa was one of those lakes where they actually flew those aircraft over on a very specific mission to do that type of work, which I thought was very interesting. Colonel Sorensen, what were you able to learn from our guests yesterday about some of the equipment that uh, you weren't able to identify in the past? Having the retirees show up yesterday, they had a lot of the answers to the questions that we had. And, and amazingly, like we're about to pr- approach the 50th year of having C-130s which is an amazing feat. There's not many Air Force units at all that have that length on the same airframe, except maybe the B-52s, or, and I believe there's a North Carolina C-130 unit that lines up well with ours to have 50 years of the same airframe. And amazingly, when we brought the retirees in yesterday to help us with some of these items that we had and artifacts, they flew with the A's. Like Some of them were on the tail end of the C-130A timeframe, they had stories about the A's. Uh, what I learned from Lieutenant Colonel John Parente yesterday was back then, we would usually get hand-me-downs from the active duty force. And so we received our C-130A models from New, New Hampshire. And they weren't in the best of shape when we got them because again, they've, they've been flown for quite a while. But our maintenance group was just amazing and was able to fix up those A models to where they were running perfectly here, even though they they were getting a bit long in the tooth at that point. But what happened was, is the A models, spare parts started to become an issue because it was starting to get phased out of the inventory. So we needed new aircraft. So we switched over to the E models and we inherited those from Yokota Air Force Base in Japan, as well as the Philippines. And many flew in in Vietnam. So they definitely were aircraft that got a lot of use before we inherited them. And we seem to have more maintenance problems with them than we did the A's, actually. So that, those are stories that you don't really, it's not documented anywhere, but these retirees lived it. Another part of what we were doing yesterday was looking through what was found in the basement and deciding what to keep and what was of historic value. And the first thing that the retirees said, don't throw away were those big scrapbooks, and those were in remarkably good condition as well. Can you tell me a little bit about those books? Sure. Someone, probably the base historian back in the day, whenever there was a newspaper release regarding the 143rd, they would cut out the clipping and post it in this huge scrapbook. Unfortunately, the dates of when these press releases happened aren't there. They just cut out the article. But it's got to be... Hundreds. I'm gonna say, yeah, yeah, certainly, probably up in maybe up in the you know 500 to 1,000 range, something like that. There's there's a bunch. Right. And it runs from 1947, I believe, to 1968 in that time frame. Just you know, stuff full of, of articles. And it, and you know, listening to the retirees talking about it, they were their their comments were, "This is priceless," and it is. 
It is. It's it, it's it's great documentation. Uh, very interesting stuff. You could spend hours hours reading every every article that's in there, and and along with photographs that are put in there also. What I liked about it was the fact because it started very early, but it's the people. It's the people that you see in these photographs that are the, and and about the you know the the articles that are written about them. It's the people, and you could you can see the transition just in the photographs of, of the uniforms. We're going from Air Corps green to Air Force blue in uniforms, which to me just gives you an idea of just the time frame of how much that documentation covered. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, for certain, it's really exciting stuff. And I'm excited to keep moving with this project. Our next step is that we're going to interview some of the retirees. We're gonna try and capture some of this history. And our first guest is gonna be Dennis Nye, who started with the Rhode Island Air National Guard in 1979. and was with us for 29 years and has a lot of history to share. He did 29 years with fuels and retired as the fuels superintendent. He's gonna share that history with us and I'm, I'm really excited to see what Dennis has to say. But gentlemen, wrapping up this introduction, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with anyone who might be listening? I, I just think I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to do the research down there and, and, and get an end game of you know, where this, all this documentation is going to go, whether we keep it in unit or it goes to someplace like the the Rhode Island State Archives, which would benefit greatly from it. Once we found all these items, Shirt Perney and I decided that contact the Retirees Association of the Rhode Island Guard. We had five members show up yesterday that we talked to about this project. We showed them the photos, we showed them some 35 millimeter slides, and they could identify roughly around 80% of the items and, and the people in it and what they were doing at the time the photos were taken. So that was quite a relief to us because we thought a lot of it was gonna be lost to history. To have the members that lived through those times be able to talk freely about each of these photos or slides is an, is an amazing thing to capture. When we talk about esprit de corps, pride in your unit, we're all a part of something bigger and it's that history that binds us all together, whether you're a retired 143rd Airlift member, or you're a current member, or you're just joined. We have a common history, and we have to keep that history and preserve it for future generations that will be airmen here. And uh, that's the goal, and to capture these stories and hear these stories. It was just a great time yesterday on hearing what they had to say about these items. And uh, we look forward to working with the Retirees Association in the future. They're willing to help us out and actually we received word today that they are posting some of the photos to identify some of the members in their, their Facebook page. So, so we're getting additional information. There was a photo of a crew in front of a, a C-130A, and they reached out to their social media group, and they had about 30 responses on who was in that photo. And the photos that, that, we, that really capture you, that tie you into the older generation of the unit, is the one that has the black hats with the 143rd airlift squadron on it, or they still have our shield on, and it's a 30-year-old photo. And, and it's tying that to us, I think, is, is the, those photos are really special and definitely uh, something that we should show to our young airmen, and uh, it does bond us all together, which is good. Gentlemen, I really want to thank you for, for joining me and including me in this, in this project. Thank you so much for, uh, for having this conversation, and um, I'm really looking forward to what we can do with this project. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for having us. 
And thank you for joining us on this first installment of the History of the Rhode Island Air National Guard podcast. We're going to be hosting all our podcasts on iTunes and Spotify as we move forward in the series. And we'll be posting additional media to the Facebook page as it's available. Thank you.